Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Meredith Brasilli to talk about her newest book that she co-authored, The Six Paths to Leadership. It's a great book, especially if you ever wonder, why am I having these struggles? Well, it depends on your path to leadership. But let me tell you a little bit more about Meredith. Meredith is the CEO of Aspire at Work, a leadership development and executive coaching firm based in Washington, D.C. She is the co-author, as I said, of Six Paths to Leadership, lessons from successful executives, politicians, and entrepreneurs, and more. And Meredith specializes in the leadership challenges of complex global organizations, including technology, healthcare, financial services, and government contractors. She has delivered leadership programs in 17 countries across five continents and in 38 states in the District of Columbia. Meredith serves on the faculty of American University's School of Public Administration's key leadership programs. She graduated with an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and a BA with honors from Brown University. She earned a certificate in leadership coaching from Georgetown University and is credentialed as a professional certified coach by the International Coaching Certification. I hope you enjoy the conversation as Meredith and I talk about the book that she recently co-authored, Six Paths to Leadership. I promise you it will leave and at least give some answers as to why you might have had some obstacles initially on the job or why you might be happy having obstacles with influence in your current role. Here she is. Oh my gosh. Hello. Hello, Leadership Habit audience. I am so excited to bring to you today, Meredith Priscilli. Like, thank you so much for coming on the show. You, I got to read your book, The Six Paths to Leadership. You already know you're talking about this on the pre-call. I've loved your book because it's just a unique perspective that I feel like isn't talked about at all, really at all. I actually have not read it and I read a lot on leadership. And so I was so jazzed to read it, get your findings, hear your perspective. Because at the end of the day, this book, I feel like, and I know this feels like a, a big plug, but I just do think people need to hear it. It's a way to help leaders feel seen of understanding why we may be successful or not might actually come down to our path to leadership. So Meredith, if you could just go ahead, tell our audience a little bit more about yourself, how you came to be, or how you actually came to write this book, The Six Paths to Leadership, because you're writing a book that I feel like is not talked about. Like the topic in here is just, no one ever talks about how you got to leadership. They talk about the skills and you address that. But before I keep going, go ahead, tell us about yourself and what inspired you to write this book. Great. Thanks, Jen. Um, it's great to be here with you. And, and thanks for reading the book. Um, really appreciate it. So um, I work in Washington, D.C. as an executive coach, a leadership professor, um, facilitator, and, and, um, and consultant. And I work across sectors. So I work with government leaders, um, both in the executive branch as well as in the legislative branch, so elected members, Congress, um, House and Senate. Um, I also teach in an executive program for senior people in the um, um, in the executive branch. So those are our federal agencies. Um, and then I work with nonprofits that intersect with kind of the DC world. Um, and then I work with corporations across the world, um, again, as an executive coach and leadership professor. Um, my personal mission is to, you know, help people to um, reach their potential. And I like to work at the leadership level because there's a wonderful cascading effect, right? When we have effective leaders, um, they then influence um, their teams and organizations. Um, and I believe really strongly that if people are fulfilled and happy at work, 
that they bring those that home to families, communities, and our society, and ultimately our world. Um, I love my work every single day, and um, and really wanted to make a contribution to the leadership field, um, and that brings us to the book. Um, I one of the areas, and I think many executive coaches work with, is around onboarding executives into new positions. I often will help design these onboarding programs, um, you know, certainly doing the one-on-one coaching, but also designing leadership, designing programs to help onboard leaders effectively. Um, so again, corporations, nonprofits, and then um, would um, support the orientation of new members of Congress and their senior staff. And, um, and as I looked across these sectors, um, it was very clear to me that what they needed to do in their first 90 days was very, very different. And it's not about writing about, you know, public sector leadership versus private sector leadership, but really what the distinction was, was how they came into their leadership position. Um, And again, working with leaders more on an individual basis, Um, what became clear to me is that there are both opportunities and challenges. And these opportunities weren't being fully leveraged and the challenges were not being proactively managed enough. And as we talk about some of the individual paths, um, then I can get into a little bit more detail and perhaps give you some stories, you know, from my experience. Um, You know, one thing I would just um, say just as an example is, Um, We have an entire chapter on family legacy leadership, and there's a tremendous amount of advantage or opportunity that comes from being a family legacy leader. And are you stepping in fully to those advantages, Um, leveraging the family story, leveraging the family values and identity? And are you managing directly that challenge of um, potential perspective? Um, perception of entitlement and how can leaders more effectively manage that um, that perception? And so that was one. Um, I was I was working with two family leaders, um, and um, one was really leveraging those opportunities, and one was fighting against that opportunity. And um, and so that was where you know I, I really started thinking through. We need to be doing this for all of the different leadership paths. Yes. Well, and I, I do, because I think that often, you know, and obviously your book talks about this, you, you know, you, you come to leadership, but you don't actually reflect on how did I get here? Unless maybe we're talking about, you know, an elected official, because then it makes sense or the appointed if you're invited. But I think sometimes you just don't reflect on, oh my gosh, how did I get here? And what do I want to do in the next 90 days? Or what does, you know, why is that first 90 days even important? Because I think a lot of people neglect to even consider the timeliness or the urgency that they have of what they need to do within the first 90 days to set themselves up for success. Too often, what I hear in my work is more of that, oh, there's that overwhelm that comes, there's that I don't know what to do. And you talk about some of the challenges too in the book, but it's not necessarily looking at it from the outside of, okay, what's going to be working for or against me that will ultimately determine my success. And I know that you even quoted something from Harvard Business Review in this book that, and I was blown away by even that quote of, what was it, like 60% of executives fail within their first, you know, I forget the time period. I, I have it quoted, but I can't go and look or hide it. Six months, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's at least 50%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and I think, again, if you, 
if you had understood how to look at it and do that analysis of what we were talking about in the pre-call, the context, and maybe I'll jump into that, then I think people would be a little bit kinder to themselves and a little bit more strategic in their approach instead of just feeling like, all right, I got the job. Perfect. And, you know, your book talks about where, so where people get it wrong. So let's maybe go into what's wrong today um, and what you're seeing or what, when we were talking about in the pre-call of the needs that organizations have of leaders today, where do you think this book kind of fits in and helping people navigate change or lead change as you were talking about? Yeah. Well, let me um, let me step back just for one second to orient the callers to what the six paths even are. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll jump into that um, because I, you and I could just jump right into each path. Um, <laughs> so the six paths real quickly are elected into the position, appointed, which is both political appointees, which are really, really big positions, as well as board appointees. Um, the next one is promoted from within. Then there's the hired from the outside, hired from the outside, we call that the outsider path. Then we have family legacy, which I talked about before. And then finally, the sixth path is the creator path or um, the founder path, right? So those are for the entrepreneurs who, you know, found a company and then grow that company to the point where they are in a leadership position. Okay. So those are the six paths. And, um, you know, like we were talking about before, you know, in the context of the past few years, all of the challenges that organizations have been facing, um, 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 you know, particularly with um, the fast changes around COVID, um, but also the racial reckoning that is that has happened, um, particularly in the U.S. And um, organizations are are pivoting very quickly um, and really counting on their leaders to be able to do that. Um, and if you think about it, a very important, if not the most important part of leading change is about understanding your context and being able to move quickly, right, as a result. Um, and if we go through each one of these paths, the issues that you need to think about are the same, but then there's um, there's a distinction, right? So, for example, if we think about um, our stakeholders, right? Um, your stakeholders as an elected leader are going to be your constituents, the press, leadership of your party, um, as well as your staff. Um, and then we have a whole bunch of other types of interest groups um, that would be your stakeholders, right? And so how are you thinking about understanding and leading those stakeholders um, right from the get-go? Now, when you are internally promoted, um, most of your stakeholders, if not all of them, are people that you've known for some time. You've already built those relationships, but those relationships have a lot of assumptions about who you are, what you're capable of. That reputation is your greatest advantage and your greatest challenge because it's a lot harder to shift people's perception when they've known it over time. But then when we have the outsider, right, the person coming in from the outside, um, you know, they are hired more based on their credibility from their previous position. And they're having to make first impressions on all of these new stakeholders. And they have to understand, um, you know, what are the wants and needs? How do they lead this new team effectively coming in from the outside um, and keep and, you know, retain those individuals that they most want to retain? Um, But then also make sure that they proactively own that building of relationships um, across this whole new stakeholder base. Again, those are just a few examples. I could go one by one and they're really, really specific challenges. Um, One more that I, on the stakeholder front, on the 
um, appointed, so in political appointee positions, there's actually a term for the people that sit just under those political appointees, which are extremely senior positions in our government. Um, and they call themselves the Weebies. Um, and you might remember that from the book. So we be here before you and we be here after you, right? And so, you know, you're, you have short timers, people who have to have an impact in a very short period of time trying to lead people who are much longer term employees. Um, it creates a very different dynamic than we might see in the promoted from within where you're getting promoted, you know, your boss gets promoted, you get promoted into that position, then other people are getting, you know, promoted behind you potentially, right? So, um, you know, very, very different dynamic. I, so let's go into, you know, <clears throat> talking about change, the ability to make change work fast, quick, efficient, will depend on your path to leadership. And the book talks about multiple, and you did a ton of research on this too. So I just want to emphasize that, that this was a research-backed book in terms of how you even drew these conclusions. What were some of the key differences that you had talked about as it relates to, you know, the six paths? And I know you touched on a few in terms of reputation, um, but maybe let's, let's dive into that to help our audience understand a little bit of the places that you need to consider. Um, one I think is also important to talk about is culture that your book talks about is, yeah. you know, understanding what your role is and shaping the culture, what your attitude needs to be, but what are some of the key differences, but yet the, I guess there are differences in terms of how you would approach it based on your path to leadership. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we could go on and on down almost every single attribute in this area, but let me, um, let me focus on a few um, so one might be, um, perspective, right? So what is kind of the lens through which you look at your leadership position and how that's going to be different depending on, um, on which, um, path you're on. So for example, um, the insider path, um, has that real insider view, right? Again, that perspective comes from, you know, already knowing the organization, knowing, knowing what has succeeded and what has failed. Um, and therefore, you know, again, great perspective, huge strength for that path. Um, but on the opportunity or on the challenging side of that, um, they might be less able or less willing to initiate change, right? Because they have that history of who's tried what, what resistance they're going to get, um, you know, and they can be um, perceived as, and also have a much harder time being a change agent. Um, you know, this, this, um, layers onto perspective as well as, um, you know, the relationship piece, but imagine if you get promoted into your boss's position, your boss gets promoted into that next position. And then now you want to do things very differently from the way that your boss did them. Right. Yeah much, much harder than if you were an outside hire, because so you're basically telling the person who promoted you and has probably been key to your success that you have a better way of doing things, right? So really, really challenging to be a change agent, really, really great in terms of quick assimilation, cultural fit, um, and credibility, um, because presumably there's a reputation that you that was positive that you can build on, and that's why you got promoted. Um, I ask a clear, like a, a clear, yeah. or not a clarifying, but you know, and most of my experience has been, you know, within the path of promoted from within. And so when I think about that, I think about the challenge of going against the green, which is what it can feel like if 
I had already established success within this organization. I was doing it. And heck, I mean, I've seen this in organizations where you make it promoted because you seem like that person that's exactly like me. And so then I want you, which makes it like hard to even look at going against the grain because then you might alienate yourself. So what advice or recommendation would you give to someone to maybe take that leap in navigating change and blazing their own trail? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think for the promoted path, there are a couple of things, right? So there's, there is that actual resistance ex, resistance externally, but there's also the resistance internally. Um, and one of the things that when we were, you know, bouncing these ideas um, onto coaches um, that that we talked about is this idea of um, trying on um, another path's lens or hat, right? So, you know, maybe because being a change agent is a lot harder in that promoted path um, to ask your client, how would you do this differently if you had been the founder of this company? Or how would you do this differently if you, in fact, were an outsider? Or what if you had the job security of the family legacy leader? How would you approach that differently? So I think, you know, that alone can kind of challenge one's thoughts. Um, But then the other piece is, is that, you know, presumably you have a lot of credibility. Um, They know you're on their team having been promoted from within. And so that's currency to spend, right? And so, you know, how can you both, I mean, it's a great polarity. Um, Hopefully you've you've talked about polarities on this show, right? It's that both and thinking. Um, And it's a really great polarity. How can I both be for continuity and change, right? And as an internal, you know, promoted leader, you have a wonderful opportunity to talk about everything that's working and how you might be able to make things better. Right. Um, and so 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 spend some of that currency um, and then try on that new hat to make yourself bold and courageous um, around around change. So then let's look at the difference if you were appointed, because if you're appointed again, that is that. And I feel like maybe, you know, just the the similarities between appointed and elected, I feel like people are used to like, this is what we want, or I guess appointed, they want the results in a different way um, in terms of their own profitability, but how should they, how should they approach that? Like, how should they approach change or how should they leverage that? Yeah. So, um, gosh, those are two actually quite different um, (laughs) paths, even though they're both found in, you know, among our public service leaders. Um, there's, there's a number of challenges for the appointed leader. Um, one of them is um, that they're, one of them that's both a strength and, an, um, and a challenge is um, that their power really comes from the principal who appointed them, right? So there's a lot of positional power that's based on both authority and um, again, you know, were they appointed by the governor or by the president? Um, and at the end of the day, the agenda is really being set for them by the principal, you know, and obviously the principal senior staff. Um, And so, you know, how are you leveraging that positional power is a really important thing to think about. Um, But one of the biggest challenges for that appointed leader is, um, I mean, there's certainly a lot of the cultural, you know, cultural changes that we talked about before coming in. Um, But in general, those positions are extremely demanding. Um, and most, um, the average time that people are in those positions is actually only 18 months. 
Um, there's a lot of turnover at the two-year point, um, an incredible amount of turnover at the four-year point, but it's very hard for, um, these are kind of 24-7 positions, many of them. Um, and so, you know, we see a lot of turnover um, among those positions for a variety of reasons. Um, and certainly with new administrations, those jobs turn over as well. And so in the context of change, right, you have to, you know, when we think about change, so much about change is about positioning organizations for the future, right? But when you're only in position for 18 months, you're trying to have an impact for your principal in a very short period of time. And so the strategies and stories that we outline the most from people who've held those positions were really about figuring out what are the most important priorities, where can you have an impact, and getting working on those um, focus areas as soon as possible. I love how the book talks about power. Because again, a lot of people, I want to, you, you brought that in, like where your power comes from, whether you're appointed, you get the power. And if you're obviously promoted from within, you have that because of your established reputation and success. But then we have, and I'm sure a lot of leaders who are listening to this right now, the people that are coming from the outside. I mean, we're seeing, what well, call it the big quit, the great resignation, whatever you want to call it. So a lot of people are likely, you know, they're at this point of a fresh start, a new lens. How or what advice would you give for them to make change or even understand their power? Because it's easy to say, like, you actually have either limited power because people don't know you. I mean, your book, it's important to say that we're talking about a few of these differences, but there's key themes in everyone, reputation, trust, your first impression, where your power comes from, culture. There's so many different lenses. But if you were promoted from, or excuse me, taken from the outside, so if you were brought in from the outside, how do you need to approach and understand power yeah. as it relates to your ability yeah, to influence? Yeah, and I think, you know, it, you're absolutely right. The great resignation is a really important trend happening right now at the leadership level, right? We do see, you know, we do see movement, um, but, but, you know, high level leadership positions are still going to be quite competitive. Um, and that's important because so much of your power does come from that credibility of a competitive recruitment process, right? So, you know, let me, uh, I'll, I'll kind of go through on power. Um, I'm looking at table 1.1 for those who, um, who buy the book and, and they can see, you know, right across the board. So you already mentioned the um, when it comes to power and authority, um, the insider, um, you know, it's their powers through connections, all right, but they might struggle with um, power over former peers, right? How do you create a, you know, how do you um, have and build additional power against former peers that used to hang out with and complain about the boss with, right? Um, then you have the external hire, um, credibility from a competitive process, but also, you know, companies tend to go to the outside because they don't have that skill, knowledge, experience from within. So that's also, it comes with additional power from, you know, it's like a scarce asset, right, that you're bringing in. Um, then if we looked at electeds, that power is very clearly delineated through the leadership positions you have, the caucuses that you're, you're a member of, um, and then relationship power through, um, you know, if you're not in a leadership position yourself, how strong is your relationship with those who do have more, um, have more power in our elected system? Um, and, you know, I can't emphasize enough the importance of 
you know, how much more power people in leadership, at least in the legislative branch, have over people who are outside of leadership, where really your power is more about your vote. Um, then when we have the appointed, um, again, your power comes from the principal who appointed you, as well as um, specific legal authorities that are granted to those positions. And you cannot go you know, above or below. Um, those things are very clearly delineated, especially around budgets um, and legal authority. Um, and then we have the founder path. Where does their power come from? Um, well, theirs is, you know, usually they're also the a majority shareholder or the owner, right? Um, usually, not necessarily. It really depends on where over the course of their growth that you're that you're looking at it. But again, their power comes from that origination story um, that brings so much credibility. Um, but then also that for many of them, they've been unilaterally making, you know, many of the decisions up until a period of time. And then finally, we have the family, right? Um, and so, again, similar to the creator, there's ownership. The ownership structure gives them additional power. And then they have that positional power as well. Um, um, on the, you know, the downside, it can be a very subjective use of power. Um, and our best practices in order to temper that um, are to have some more objective governance structures to help people um, through those um, challenging positions. So I appreciate you going through. So there's a table in the book that details, you know, the different themes and variations across the six paths and just talking about how or what that actually looks like. Crosstown is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. Where do you think, maybe we could go through and talk about a few of the missteps that people make at each of the levels, because they have to be mindful and, and they'll maybe then hear those themes coming out through that. But let's talk about some of the mistakes that maybe if we can go through the table too, let's talk about some of the mistakes that an insider might make. I know that this is the yeah. different piece of the book. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's great. Um, yeah, there's so many. And, you know, one of the things that I would just say applies across all paths first, and then when we get into the specifics, you're going to see this even more, is that when you're new in a leadership position, you are in the fishbowl, right? People are watching you. and you're going to have some level of insecurity about, you know, you know, are people going to like me? Are they going to follow me? What should I even be doing? Because this is a new job. Yeah. Um, and yet when we think about what in fact is the definition of leadership, it's about, you know, inspiring and engaging your followers. And so, 
at this time when you're very kind of self, you know, self-involved, concerned about self, um, the most important thing you need to be doing is thinking about everybody else that you're trying to lead, right? And how do I win over the hearts and minds? And so the missteps, I wanted to start with that because the missteps really have to do with that. It's about thinking too much about yourself and not thinking enough about others. So what is the misstep in, um, in the insider path? It's that, it's that, um, it's that former peers, um, and not renegotiating that relationship enough, right? Still trying to be their friend, which is okay. And you have to, you know, lift it up in terms of providing that guidance, you know, setting direction, and sometimes even creating some separation. Um, we had some stories about, um, you know, effective leaders really having to renegotiate um, those relationships in an effective way. The most important one being how much time are they going to be able to, you know, give these individuals, especially when their stakeholders move more externally, like in a CEO position. Um, and so, so that would be the first one. And so, you know, when when you, when someone gets promoted and is leading former peers, they need to be really thinking about, you know, which team members do I want to keep and what's my plan for keeping them? And then also, who might I not want to keep and what's my plan for moving those individuals out? Because maybe, you know, they are never going to buy into that promotion. Right. They'll always undermine your efforts or continue that chatter and be your potential enemy. And and, and you're in the book talks about that for a variety of reasons. You could have been their competition. They wanted that role and they didn't get it. And so they are just not going to buy in because that of their own, you know, kind of challenges or disappointment. Yeah. Now on the outsider path, there are a number of missteps that they make. Um, The one that I'm going to highlight is um, the outsider who comes from the competition. And so, you know, from the outsider's perspective, the reason you hired me was to bring in this new perspective and the experience of being better than you, right? But are you coming in with arrogance or are you coming in with humility? Um, And, you know, especially in cutthroat industries, um, you know, you were the enemy, right? (laughs) And so... Um, you come in and they're supposed to trust you when they've been fighting against you all of this time. Um, and, you know, some of the stories that were, um, you know, most rejected were individuals who, you know, were in fact brought in because they came from the number one, maybe now they're going to the number three or number four, but then they overuse that and they say, well, at, you know, X company, we did this. And at X company, we did that. And people get pretty tired of it. And so, you know, our recommendation on that one is to figure out what you like about the new company and give that a lot of, you know, um, honor that as well, right? You know, why you came and, and, you know, really show that you are one of them now and why you're so excited about being part of their team. Um, but you got to proactively manage that transition, right? I think um, that's an important piece of how are you showing up when you come in there? Are you like, well, they brought me in because I worked for the competition. So I have all the smarts and solutions that this organization doesn't right. have. Right. I mean, we've seen that, that ego centric, like, look at me, look at me, instead of understanding that people are naturally then going to resist you because they don't have that trust because they have been working against you. So if you do that, then you lose your influence ability. Absolutely. On the elected side, 
Um, I'd say the big, there's so many missteps as well that we can get into the details of like hiring the wrong people, hiring people you can't fire, things like that. But I would say from a leadership perspective, um, focusing um, too much on what you're not able to do as opposed to what you are able to do. Um, elected positions, obviously, with the exception of the presidency, which you know has a tremendous amount of power. But when you start going into the legislative branch, so executive branch positions, governors, mayors, um, president, they they do um, oversee an awful lot. But um, again, on the legislative side, um, you know they're not um, they're not able to do a lot of the things that they want to be able to influence. And so there are those leaders who get frustrated with that, but then there are others who really look at the power that they do have and focus on that. And one of the things we talk about um, with some great stories from former elected leaders is um, the power to convene, right? Just having that power to call the meeting, to get different stakeholders together, to help move things um, can be really, really powerful. So how do you how do you leverage the opportunities um, that might not be as obvious to you where you can um, also have an impact, just maybe not in the way you would most like to have that impact? Um, on the appointed front, the missteps are definitely about disrespecting that group right underneath them. Um, they are the key to your success. They're the ones that make things happen, that implement your ideas and policies. And so um, not treating them with respect um, will really set you up for failure. So, you know, we had really great stories of effective leaders who, um, you know, interviewed them um, right away, um, asked them how they could be helpful, um, you know, would go visit them instead of just calling them into their office. And so honoring their public service history and the expertise that they bring. Um, on the creator side, you know, it's interesting, the family business and the creators make some of the same mistakes. And a lot of it is about um, that personal and professional overlap, right? If you found your company with a bunch of buddies, um, harder decisions down the road, same thing with family. How do you make some of those hard decisions? Um, and so in both cases, you know, we want to encourage um, and through, you know, through the stories of successful leaders, you know, more objectivity, more self-awareness, thinking about how do you complement your skill sets um, and make sure that, you know, there are people there um, to cover your blind spots. Um, so I think those, I think that covers all of them, right? Yeah. I want to ask one more question about the, the, the legacy, because I think that I naturally might, you know, as an individual might be like, yeah, like, did you get it because you actually deserved it? Or did you get it because of your name? So how do you actually, you know, build trust from the legacy perspective? Um, because I think that that I naturally as an outsider and looking at it as like, well, of course, like they're just going to keep promoting whether or not or bringing you in, whether or not you're capable or competent, whatever that might be. And I know that's unfair. That's a bias on my part. But how do you build that trust? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. You know, um, I really, um, I learned so much in this chapter and um, my empathy for people running um, successful family businesses really just went up tremendously um, in, in, in appreciating, you know, how complex it is to have so much um, personal investment in these companies, both in terms of the success as well as the relationships that are behind them. Um, and it's so hard in this, you know, in these times where we want to separate work and life, um, you know, it's very difficult, you know, at, at the uh, holiday table when extended family are all, you know, um, 
shareholders of the business, many of them working in the business, and how do you, you know, create some of those separations? Um, I'm picturing the show Succession right now, like <laughs> as you're talking yeah. about them, they're just sitting around and undermining. Like that's what goes through my head. Yeah, it's very, very complicated. Um, and so, you know, what what we found in terms of best practice here is really making sure that you're bringing in some non-family members at the senior level for one, right? Um, some real industry experts and people who, you know, do have a different approach to the business and a different perspective, because we always want diversity of perspective. Um, but then the other piece is, you know, you talk about how others might be judging them. They're also judging themselves. You know, am I here because of my family or am I here because I really deserve these positions? And so um, the family businesses that seem to get this right, um, they set up objective criteria for their family members to hold those positions. And, you know, some standard criteria, you know, might be a certain level of education, you know, oftentimes graduate school, you know, MBA and such. Um, the other is that they have to have a certain number of years of experience outside of the family business. Um, and, um, and they have to have been successful. So they have to have been promoted um, and shown a success track record in another business before they're able to hold a senior position in their business. Um, and then just in general, you know, having very, very clear governance documents that are not about specific individuals, but are equally applied to all members of the family. Um, all of those things seem to be really, really helpful, um, both in terms of that internal story around entitlement and managing it, but then certainly around that external story as well. Oh my God. I like the complexity of a, of a legacy is just, I mean, thank goodness I never had that opportunity because I don't know what I would do because at the end of the day, even from my perspective or the chair that I sit in, when I read this book is like, gosh, like how do you even get people to leverage their confidence? Because all of these I feel like are vulnerable to imposter syndrome. They are vulnerable to, will I actually be effective? How will I even know? And so how do you, like going back to that 90 days, um, and maybe this is a great closing consideration, but what are some of, how would you even start a 90 day kind of like expectation or plan for yourself? And then how do you measure that success? I don't know. That's um, too high level, but yeah, like, that's, that's a lot, but um, I'll give you a couple things right there. Yeah. Um, you know, the first is, is about um, your learning plan, um, which both includes, you know, the people that you're going to interview and the questions that you're going to ask them, um, uh, depending on your path. Okay. So again, this goes back to knowing who your stakeholders are um, and asking those questions. Um, um, there's, there's a lot of great um, work. Mike, Michael Watkins, who actually wrote a book called The First 90 Days, talks about um, the, um, uh, the listening tour that you're supposed to go on. Um, we, we do a variation of that in our book that's by path. Um, you know, so, um, you know, who should be part of that listening tour and um, what are the different types of questions depending on the path that you should be asking. Um, and so just as one example, um, if you're promoted from within versus um, an external hire, um, if you're coming in from the outside, you're really just trying to understand like the networks, how things work, you know, norms and practices, the culture. Um, but if you're internal promoted, um, you know, what are you, what assumptions are you making based on the way things were done at that level? And then how do you integrate into that new level in terms of norms and practices um, across the organization with new peers, et cetera? Um, and so, you know, that's going to be absolutely key. 
Um, again, the that issue around your team, right? Winning over the hearts and minds of the team or your other stakeholders. Um, again, de- depending on what that path is, um, you need to think about that team really differently. You know, creators, um, they've been, you know, there since the beginning. So they're going to have, um, you know, they're not going to have that same concept of kind of 90 days. Um, but then what we want to think about with them is like, what is the point that you need to mix things up, bring in, um, bring in new decision makers? Um, what we see as um, you know, one of the biggest challenges with founders is distributing their decision-making authority. Um, they tend to have the worst reputation for being kind of micromanagers and overly involved because at some point they did in fact do every job. And so how do they lift up? And so you know, how do they make for themselves, these kind of artificial transitions that enable them to scale the business, to move to that new level of leadership. Um, Because if they keep on doing things the way they've always done, another great book out there is um, Marshall Goldsmith's What Got You Here Won't Get You There, right? Really applies to creators who've, you know, something has made them successful, but now they need to operate at a new level, right? And distribute, especially their power because they don't distribute their power. They're going to be a bottleneck um, and people aren't going to be inspired to stay and and work there. Right. Um, So, you know, those again are some of those different ideas. I think on the family legacy side, you know, some of the great stories that we heard about is again, how that family DNA story gets told over time. And so we want to make sure that um, that's a huge strength and that as new family legacy leaders come in, that they're really well-versed in what that family story is and that you build that connection because the further they get away from that first generation, they might not have all of that history. Um, and it's a huge advantage for the family legacy leader. Right. I'm sorry. I'm going back to like some of my post-it notes in here, but you know, in, in closing, because there's no way we can encapsulate everything that the book had talked about and there's so much research here, but I just like, because this book is, it can serve a lot of people, whether it's the individual that is the leader, whether it's someone that's supporting the leader. So as we close, who do you think could benefit from reading this book? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, any, any person who's new into a leadership position should certainly, you know, read, um, read the book, focus on the chapter of whatever their path is. Um, and also to read the chapter of whatever their path was and to, so that they can understand that new lens and what some of those biases might be from their previous path. Um, so definitely, you know, people new into leadership positions. Um, it's a great gift for someone when they get that promotion. Um, yeah. And then- Well, again, know, they get to feel heard. Like, I feel like this eliminates some of that extra noise or head trash that comes into play because we're not paying attention to the context of what got us there. So yes, give this to them. Like I swear as a coach, I feel like people would just the confidence that would flourish and that, you know, they would give a little bit more grace to themselves if they understood that perspective. Yeah. And then, you know, there are a few other groups, you know, we think and benefit certainly everyone who supports leaders. So coaches, consultants, headhunters, you know, recruiters, um, all of them, um, it's really helpful to understand those advantages and disadvantages, the hiring committees, so that who are responsible for onboarding new leaders, um, they need to be thinking about, you know, if they're, if they're debating between a promote and an outside hire, how do they, how do they set either one of them up for success? Um, so those are critical. Um, for young leaders or people earlier in their career, you know, we do, we have a whole chapter kind of around, 
in one of the closing, in, I would say in one of the closing chapters, we we talk a lot about, you know, how do you think about path relative to your own career path? Um, if you're someone who's great at first impression, that outsider path might be good. If you're someone who really likes to build a reputation relationships over time, you might want to think about, you know, joining organizations where there's going to be lots of opportunity on that promoted path, right? So, you know, match up your own strengths. And we have a, we have a little tool just for that, like match up your own strengths and, and development areas against the different paths. Um, and then finally, we want our book. Um, and again, I want to mention my co-author, Mark Clark. I could not have done this work without him. Um, he's a professor in the Kogod School of Business at American University. Um, and, um, you know, for, for the two of us, and again, his, his lens, which is, you know, even more academic, um, we want leadership writers and theorists and professors to think about these paths um, and make sure that we get away from this kind of one-size-fits-all approach to leadership um, and that we bring this framework into, you know, all other um, attributes that we see as key to leadership. So, you know, of course, emotional intelligence, which is written out, written about an awful lot as being key to leadership effectiveness is important. But if we, if we take the EQ, um, um, skills, right. And we layer that against path, um, you're going to have different opportunities and challenges, right? So, you know, one of the things is just, is, you know, um, is kind of conflict management and as well as, you know, networks and the politics of an organization, um, layer that against path and you're going to have um, different approaches to building that competency. Yes. I just want to like say, to, so it's relevant for so many people. I know that I will be using this book for, I absolutely will be because it, it just provides a better lens to understand what strategy is going to be effective. And if you're looking for strategies, if you're looking for approaches, this book details you know, the opportunities that you have, the challenges that you're going to run into, as well as the strategies that you can leverage. And I just appreciate, again, this unique perspective that I, I have not seen out there. I've done a ton of podcast interviews, so I'm not just saying this. I just appreciate this different voice because I think it's much more helpful for your long-term success to understand this context, especially as it relates to going back to the first topic, change or whatever you're trying to accomplish. Meredith, how can people get in touch with you? Well, certainly they can, um, you know, find me on LinkedIn. Again, that's Meredith Persley, P-E-R-S-I-L-Y. Um, and then my website is um, www.aspireatwork. That's the name of my business, um, .com. So www.aspireatwork.com. Meredith, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for writing this book, because again, it's a void within the leadership space. And it was great to have this conversation we could not even cover everything that you know this book talks about. So I would highly recommend to get it. It's going to give you a unique point of view and how you can look at yourself or even look at how you support others. And I swear I'm not saying this just to get in Meredith's good graces. I just legitimately think it's a very, very foundational, helpful tool to understand what you're up against when you actually come into leadership. So thank you so much for writing this book, Six Paths to Leadership, Lessons from Successful Executives, Politicians, Entrepreneurs, and more. So go and get the copy of your book. Meredith, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Jen. Really appreciate the time with you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation and it had you reflecting and thinking about how you might approach things differently based on your path to leadership. Now, if you want to connect with Meredith, you can head on over to aspireatwork.com 
There you can find out more information about her services and also purchase the book, Six Paths to Leadership. I promise you, it will not disappoint. And of course, if you know someone that could benefit from hearing this message or conversation, share this podcast episode with them. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. Your reviews are what helps us go to the top and gets our message heard. And finally, if you enjoyed this and you're looking to further develop your leadership development needs, head on over to crestcom.com. We would love to connect with you. And in exchange, we would offer you a complimentary leadership workshop. So please connect with us, reach out to us and help us develop better leaders for your organization.